You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk back program. Are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. Beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. You know, there's two guys that I consider at the top of the classy scale. One is this man, James Taylor. And me. <laughs> the other one is not Tim the Tool. <laughs> the other one is Dr. Billy Graham. Everyone has some kind of bizarre uh, affection for this guy. And I say bizarre because it's, it, it's really, it's somewhat explainable because he's a man of integrity and is a, he's a man of God. And, you know, there's never been a, a controversy behind his name, unlike all the other show ponies that are out there these days. Uh, but it's, there's something more, and it's, it's, it's intangible. It's, you can't, you just can't, I can't put my finger on it. Can you? No, I, I completely agree with you. I've been to one of his uh, expedient stadium events. And right. Like, yeah, there's something very unique and special. And this might, I hope the other kids don't hear this, because, I mean, I really love Ruth. Ruth has been on, Ruth Graham, his daughter, uh, has been on our show a couple times, and she's cheeky, and she's fun, and, you know, she's. I have a great time chatting with her. But the one that, that has that certain je ne sais quoi, yes. uh, the, the other one that's got the thing, the, the mojo working, mm-hmm. is, is Anne Graham Lotz. Yes. You know what I mean? Yep. There's just something about her. Uh, she's the founder of Angel Ministries, has passionately proclaimed God's word to people around the world for over 30 years. Her gripping narratives, her heart-touching teaching have inspired listeners in arenas and prison cells, uh, stadiums and Bible studies, sanctuaries and seminaries, the United Nations and Amsterdam 2000. Of course, she is the daughter of Dr. and Mrs. Billy Graham. And uh, Anne just launched a, uh, Just Give Me Jesus in the year 2000. Uh, she is an award-winning and best-selling author. Her 11 books include her signature book, Just Give Me Jesus, and her 2009 release, The Magnificent Obsession. The website is com, and she joins us for our last show of 2010. Hello, Anne. Hello, Drew. I have to chuckle when I hear uh, you comparing Daddy to James Taylor. That's very fun. Isn't, I can't wait to tell isn't him. Isn't that... <laughs> just, I don't know. There's just something classy about those two guys. Well, you know, you know I, I know my daddy is uh, sort of in a class by himself. He is so precious. We just had Thanksgiving with him, and he celebrated his 92nd birthday. That's and right. he's uh, alert and... I know would appreciate being um, remembered by you. So thank you for that. Yeah, you know, it is. Uh, there, I, I think you and I talked about this the last time you were on our show, but there, there will just be a, a cloud of grieving over the nation when, you're, when your dad passes. I call it, he's getting ready to move to our father's house. Yeah. And so, um, and you know, I, I know that's part of living, you know, dying is just part of life, but it's when your faith becomes sight and my daddy is so ready to go to heaven, but he doesn't have a death wish. You know, he's enjoying life. He loves the opportunities God is giving him even now, but um, but he's looking forward to going home. He, he wants to see Jesus, but I'll tell you what, he wants to see my mother. <laughs> they loved each other, didn't they? What a love affair they had. It was precious. Uh-huh. That's neat. Well, listen, uh, enough about your father. As much as we all love and appreciate him, uh, you are you are your own person. I know you've, you can't help but fall under that uh, shadow of, uh, of your father, but you, you have your own personality and your own uh, ministry and your own life. And, and I wanted to have you on this show because uh, I needed someone like you to maybe speak into my life a little bit during this crisis of faith that I'm in. I think Maybe your your assistant told you a little bit about that, did she? Yes, she did, and and I just want to say up front, Drew, that I, I appreciate so much your honesty. You know, I just and I know your listeners would say the same thing. Thank you for not being, 
hypocritical about it or hiding it or, or pretending that you're someone that you're not. So well, thank you. Anyway, I, I appreciate that very much. Yeah, I was told last week by uh, by I guess an apologist of uh, some sort uh, that I am not a Christian uh, because of the depths of my doubt. Uh, would you agree that when someone doubts as much as I do about the existence of God, that then that disqualifies them as a follower of Christ? Uh, you know, I, I don't think I can answer a question like that. I don't know the depths of your doubts. I think only God would know your heart. And I think, um, you know, sometimes we go through a period of what you're going through, and we come out stronger on the other end. Now, mm. one thing that I know in Scripture, you know, the great saints in the Old Testament in particular, they really wrestled with God, and they struggled, and they doubts, but they didn't express their doubts to other people. They expressed their doubts to God, and then God could answer those doubts. And so we have rich passages, for instance, in uh, the book of Jeremiah or some of these other Old Testament men who really wrestled with their faith, but they didn't they didn't complain to other people. They they did to God, and then God could answer. And, and as a result, they became um, stronger in their faith and, you know, are examples for us uh, thousands of years later. Hmm. You know, for all of the droogal guests that I've had, and that's what we've called this search, yes. I mean, this whole thing came about. I'll just bring you up to speed real quick. When I was interviewing Ravi Zacharias in July, and I was, I started to go back into that apologetics world that Ravi deals with day in and day out, and I started thinking, man, I just, I don't know, after 30 years, before I reinvest in Jesus for another 30 years, I, I need to know that God is real, and yet I don't want a, a dog and pony show. I don't want, uh, you know, if you're real, uh, you know, uh, could we have a, a bolt of lightning right now? Thank you very much. I just want an encounter, and I don't know how, what that looks like or what, you know, what it's going to look like, putting no parameters on it, yeah. but I feel, I just feel a, a, a massive void there. So what am I missing, Anne? Well, um, you know, I don't know. I can't analyze you. Can I, I? Let me just speak from my experience. Please. All right, and I also appreciate the fact that you're, you are genuine enough in your walk with God that you would know that if you're going to invest another 30 years in Him, it needs to be worthwhile. And yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. You know, and but um, I thought back, just knowing I'd be talking to you when I first encountered Him, and I think it probably was in my home, just through my my parents and my grandparents. They lived out their faith, and I saw that in them. But but my first personal encounter with Him was when I was watching a film on television, um, and it was a portrayal of the life of Christ put out by Cecil B. DeMille, who did the Ten Commandments, but it was called King of Kings. Mm. And, and it came to that um, picture of, uh, or the scene of Jesus dying on the cross, and I knew deep down in my heart that he wasn't just a man being crucified by Romans, but he was uh, a God's sacrifice for my sin. And I, as a little girl, and I can't remember the year, I, I remember it was a good Friday, and I was seven, eight, or nine years of age, and um, and I, I was deeply convinced that I was a sinner. And I told God, I, I knelt down on the floor in my bedroom at my parents' home, um, and I just told God I was sorry for my sin, genuinely sorry, with tears, and asked him to forgive me and to cleanse me with the blood of Jesus and to have Jesus come into my heart. Um, I wanted to claim him as my Savior. And I believe as a young girl, based on that, that I was what the Bible describes, what Jesus said, I was born again into God's family. I, I was Billy Graham's daughter, but, but I had been born again at that point and became a child of God. Right. But then my next encounter that I remember um, was uh, when I was 16, and, and I, you know, uh, I don't want to say I was devoid of him during those years, but the, the next one that was like life-changing for me was when I had thought um, during that time that when I got to heaven, I would tell God uh, what my daddy had done, and God would be impressed <laughs> and give me credit, you know, <laughs> or my grandparents. And, um, and I, it just, 
hit me that when I stood before God, I'd be all by myself and that I would give an account to him for the way I lived my life. And so in that same bedroom up in my parents' home, I knelt down looking out over the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I told God that I wanted my life to count. I wanted to live a life that was significant from his perspective. And so I just gave him my life to use, just said, you know, you can use me. And um, and so that was a significant turning point in my life. And he didn't, you know, a year later I would have said he hadn't heard me, you know, because it was, um, but looking back I can see that he absolutely did. And and I began um, a life of what I would describe following Jesus as a disciple, not just somebody who goes to church, not somebody who just calls themselves a Christian, but I really wanted to live my life for him. And um, But I married young. I had my small children. I've, I got homesick for God with all the business of small children. And then uh, in my heart, I wanted to come back to God, but I didn't know exactly how to do that. I had drifted from him. I, 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 didn't, I wasn't like you. I didn't doubt his existence, but I no longer had that sense of his presence in my life and so um what age was that again that would be when i was about 26 okay and i had three small children and um so at that age and then i uh, i knew where i would find them and this is where i always find god drew it's in the pages of my bible and so i uh anyway um started a bible class because i wanted to be in it that i could get into the you know depth of um god's word and but i had to teach the bible class to start i won't go into the details of that no I had 300 women that showed up that first year. I'd never taught anything before, but they all had my same desire to know God. And, and I think it's your desire because I'm I'm in the southeastern part of the United States. There's a church on every street corner down here, but right. people don't know God. You know, right. they go to church. They're religious. They're they would call themselves Christians, but I think if they're honest, and that's where I appreciate your honesty so much. I think a lot of them would say what you're saying. You know, it's just that they don't say it. And so I've. I began this Bible class so I could be in it, studying the scriptures, and that first year I taught Genesis, and I came to the biography of Abraham. And Abraham was an ordinary man just living his life, you know, and God leaned out of heaven and said, Abraham, if you'll follow me in a life of faith, then I'm going to bless you. And um, and Abraham packed up everything he had, and he began following God in a life of obedient faith one step at a time until the end of his life, um, you know, God had promised him, you know, descendants and land and whatever, whatever. At the end of his life, I looked at Abraham and I said, Abraham, were you a fool? You know, because at the end of your life, you have nothing to show for it. You followed God all of your life, and you, you had to buy a cave in which to bury your wife. You have basically one son and the unfulfilled promises of God. So is it worth it? Hmm. And then, you know, what struck me was that three times in the Bible, God says, Abraham is my friend. So, in other words, if I told you the queen was my friend, you could laugh, you know. But if the queen walked in and said, Ann Lotz is my friend, then that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. And and Abraham didn't say, God is my friend. God said, Abraham is my friend. And this was 33 years ago, but but I said, God, that's what I want. I want to know you in a relationship that one day you would describe as a friendship. And so I describe it as my magnificent obsession. I want to know God like Abraham did so that at the end of my life, God would call me a friend. And it's a journey, Drew. It's one step at a time. It's going through struggles like you've described. But Abraham failed. Um, you know, he lied. He committed adultery. He he wasn't perfect. But every time he didn't abandon God, he just pursued God in his journey of faith, usually going back to his altar, which would, for me, would be go back to the cross and tell God, I'm sorry for my sin, whatever I've done, the lying or whatever it was, you know, the... Mm-hmm. That I, and and just ask him to renew my relationship with himself and um and God has done that in my life so that 
you know, I'm 62. I've been following him um, with intensity in this journey of faith, day by day by day, choice by choice by choice, for 33 years. And I can tell you, honestly, that I know God. And I don't know him as well as I want to or as well as I should, but I know him personally. Just like, you know, not just like you, but um, I don't know that I've ever met you face to face. Oh, and, no, you, um, you'd remember. <laughs> I know I would. <laughs> but I, I, and I haven't seen God face to face, but I know him. You know, he, he speaks to me um, when I read my Bible, and I speak to him when I pray. But, Ann, Ann how yeah. do you know, how do you, how do you, um, no one well, no, what I'm trying to get at is maybe it's just tribal conditioning. Maybe maybe you are uh, conditioned by your tribe, having lived in the Jesus tribe for a very long time, and been conditioned by the tribal book. Maybe that you've just been conditioned to believe what you believe. You know, I think that uh, probably that has helped to give me a foundation. But but when the storms of life come along, a tribal something or other just doesn't make it. And um, and if I can just give you recent some recent experiences, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, okay? But um, <laughs> but my uh, husband is quite a bit older than I am, and a year ago a year ago this month he started dialysis because his kidneys have failed, oh, and okay. it's due to diabetes. But he's lost sight in one eye. He has three stents in his heart because of heart disease, and and he was a world class athlete. He he won a national championship in basketball, and um, great guy. And I've just watched him. Uh, health-wise, just deteriorate. My, my son has had cancer. Um, he's been through a divorce. He's now in trouble in his second marriage. Um, my son-in-law, the father of our three granddaughters, has been out of a job for a year and a half and now has no money. I mean, deeply depressed. I have no idea, you know, what sure. they're going to be doing this next week. And oh, um, and so those are storms. Uh, and and I could go through other ones um, that, you know, I won't belabor the point, but you get the idea. Yeah, you know? yeah. So tribal conditioning would would not carry me through that. No, it ain't, it ain't going to cut it. No, exactly. And so so let me just give you one way that God has spoken to me through his word. Please. Okay, and it's yeah. been fairly recent because I was telling God this. So instead of complaining to somebody, I just went to God in prayer. And I said, God, you know, I have this and this and this, and it's overwhelming. And I, and I can add to it the things I'm not telling you. And it's just like I don't know that I can make it through this day. And he brought to my mind a passage of Scripture. This is where you need to know your Bible. You need to read your Bible every day because he brought to my mind Moses, who back in Exodus 33 and 34 said, God, I want to know you. Show me if you're real. I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And so God said, all right, Moses, I'm going to put you in a cleft of a rock. In other words, he's going to put Moses in a hard place. And then he put his hand over Moses. So Moses would feel the presence of God and feel his hand on his life. And then it said God removed his hand so that Moses felt abandoned and there was no feeling of God's presence in his life. And then God passed by and he said, now, Moses, you can see the backside of my glory. And, and glory means his character. It means seeing and knowing God for who he is in his character. And it said he, God's mercy, his goodness, his faithfulness passed by Moses, and Moses saw the backside. And what God said to me in my storms was, Ann, you take one at a time, and I'm going to put you in a cleft of a rock. I'm not going to protect you from those hard places. In fact, sometimes I think he sticks me in hard places, and, and it's hard. And, and for a moment, maybe I have a sense of his presence, and then he removes his hand, and I feel abandoned. And God, where are you? But I can look back, Drew, and I see the backside of his glory. He gave me strength to get through yesterday. He gave me his faithfulness to bring friends alongside me who would support me. He's given me um, precious 
promises from his word, verses that just leap up off the page that speak to me to comfort me and encourage me just at this moment, again and again and again. And I can see the, to me, the backside of his glory is seeing it in retrospect. You know, at the moment, maybe I'm not aware of his presence passing by, but I can look back and I can see he's brought me through. And and sometimes I know, you know, at the moment that he's present in my life for sure. And um, and I, I know because of what Scripture says, he's going to be here in my life tomorrow. And the Bible tells me he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. So that I put my I put the roots of my faith down into his word, not not into feelings, not into what other people say. But I put my, my roots down into the Bible itself and okay. just believe that that's true. All right. Has the daughter of Billy Graham ever gone through, because obviously you're not in it right now, and unfortunately any time Jesus people or leaders, you know, Christian leaders, talk about uh, doubt, they, t- right. they sterilize it and clean it up and talk about it in past tense, right. right? No one's out there saying, I'm in it right now. Right. Oh, well, except me, I guess. Uh, so I want to ask you, have you gone through a crisis of faith ever, or are you one of those people that has been blessed with the gift of faith and you've never uh, uh, had a crisis of faith? All right. uh, you know, faith is not a gift. Faith is a choice. And you, you take your faith and you choose to put it in something. Like you can you can believe in electricity, you know, but you've got to flip the switch and you, you, you believe in something and then you act on it and, you, and then it's verified. And so to answer your question, uh, and I know you're not going to, you're going to have a hard time with this, but I have not. <laughs> no, 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 I, I don't have a hard time with it because I just want to know where you're, where you're at. Because the majority of people, Anne, who have never gone through what I'm going through, um, get, uh, they're not as gracious with the conversation. You've been incredibly gracious with this conversation. The majority of people who have never experienced a dark night of the soul like I'm going through now, uh, they just they don't get what I'm going through, so therefore they they're not using uh, uh, relational language. There, there's a disconnect in how they relate to me. Do you know? Well, do you understand? Yes, I, I think so. But I, I, I'll tell you two things. One, uh, I know Drew that God loves you, and I believe God is pursuing you. And so while you're pursuing Him in all these interviews, <laughs> you know He's pursuing you, and He wants you to know Him in this personal relationship. The second thing I would say is that if your relationship with him has been wrapped up in religion, like I I had a wonderful conversation with William Lovedale this last summer, and I know you've um, interviewed him. Yeah, Bill, great guy. Yes, and I sought him out because I'd read his book, and it broke my heart, you know. And and I I will tell you what I told him when he said, uh, the title of his book is Losing My Religion, and I told him, good for you. You know, religion is maybe the number one impediment to knowing God. So throw it away. We don't want religion, which is man's attempt to reach God. You want a personal relationship with God. Okay, but but Anne, Anne, let me me interject for a second here. um, I have spent the last seven years uh, on this show, uh, I guess, disassembling religion. And uh, so I've I've gone through that. I, that's I've been there, got the T-shirt, and, and it's done. Right? Okay. I understand that uh, Christ actually called for the end of religion in right. in His ministry. Right. So I get that, and that's that's so yesterday. Right. But w- you you uh, hit on a key word, and that's relational right. relationship. So I've said this to many guests, and I want to say the same thing to you. Right. I read a book about relationship. Right about a God who desires relationship. Yes. And I live in a planet filled with relationships. Yes. And yet the chasm or the void between the Creator and me, every once in a while I'd have thinnings, but they're just it's just a disconnect, and I don't know if this is real. Why? I'll give you a quick analogy. I know 
then my wife will never leave me nor forsake me. I know that. And people hearing this may go, oh, come on, you don't know that. Well, you're right. Given the right set of circumstances, anybody can do anything. But I know, I have have faith that my wife will not leave me. She's had plenty of reasons to. But I just don't have that same faith in the Creator because there's a disconnect in the relationship. I've got a track record proven with my wife, but I, I just can't pull that together with God. What am I missing? Uh, you know, I don't know, Drew, because I don't know you well enough, but I would say I, I don't know what you're missing. I know where you can find whatever it is, and that's just back at the foot of the cross. And, but and what, does that, back, what does that mean? That like means I, you come back in humble repentance where you, you confess that there's a disconnect. And, and, you know, it's not God that's moved. No, well, so, if there is a God, I know that I've screwed it up, not him. Well, and, and he came for screw-ups. He loves screw-ups. You know, that's why he sent Jesus. And and to come back and, and just right there, and there, so I don't know what it is unless you're putting too much emphasis on your feelings. Well, but, no, no, but it's actually the opposite. See, I've grown up in denominations that have uh, intentionally or unintentionally trained me to suppress any feeling because it's almost as though they were anti-Pentecostal, you know? You don't want to be like... And again, I don't want to turn into a raving evangelical Pentecostal lunatic. I don't want an experience every week or an encounter every day. Right. Uh, I just... I, I. So, no, I'm the opposite. I've suppressed feelings. Right. Well, I, I, I believe if you if you in prayer come humbly to and if, and I say to the foot of the cross by that I mean you just come humbly in prayer to Jesus with a a repentance contrite spirit and just say God or Jesus I want to know you and would you reveal yourself to me and then you open your eyes and you open your ears and and if you're honest in your search Drew he he, he wants to reveal himself to you the bible says God is light the primary characteristic of light is that it reveals itself he has revealed himself to us that we might know him. Jesus said in John 17 that beautiful high priestly prayer. Right the, the night he was arrested, right before he was crucified, he said he said that God had sent him to give eternal life to those that um, to you and me. And eternal life he defined as knowing God. And the word he used for know is the intimate relationship between man and wife. So he said that he had come to give you an intimate relationship with God the Father. That that's what eternal life is. But, okay, so where has that been for thirty years? An intimate relationship with God? Are you yes. kidding me? It, uh, it's established at the cross. When you come to the cross by faith and you confess your sin, you're willing to repent. That means turn away from yeah, your yeah, yeah. sin, your selfishness, whatever, and you invite Jesus to come into your heart and you surrender and you yield your life to him, and then you work out that relationship. That's like your marriage, you know, when you go to the altar and you say your vows of commitment and you marry your wife. All right, so you could marry her, and the next day you're married, but you don't really know her. <laughs> In fact, you could be married 30 years and not really know your wife. So the way you get to know her Ain't is every day. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, believe, I've been married 44, and I can tell you. <laughs> I don't. I didn't know Danny Lotz when I first married him, not like I do now, but, but it's taken um, 44 years of working out that relationship Every day. So every day I talk to him. Every day he talks to me. We work out, you know, the, the, our differences or the things that we do. Um, we do things together. And so with God, you, you establish the relationship through faith in Jesus at the cross. But then you have to work it out. You have to develop that relationship. And for me, that means reading my Bible every day and not just reading it, but applying it to my life and living it out. It's like Abraham. God spoke to him, and he just did what God told him to do. It became an adventure, you know. And so I told God 33 years ago, I didn't want to know him like um, most people do. I wanted to know him like Abraham did or like David did. 
as a shepherd or like Elijah did in his power or like Jeremiah did in his faithfulness or, you know, just I want to know him like those Bible characters knew him. And if and if God hasn't changed you, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then why can't I know him like Abraham well, and did? That's, and, and that's what I'm asking. Yes. Why can't, why, why can't, well, but I've been asking this for, I mean, there's one person who knows my struggle better than anybody else. It is my wife, and she's listened to a lot of these interviews and said, well, just, I mean, people don't understand that you have been asking and seeking uh, for this this uh, intimate relationship with God forever. Right. Well, maybe then you start doing. If you have asked, then you believe that he's going to give that to you, or he has given it to you. And especially if you've come to the cross, confessed your sin, claimed yep. Christ as your Savior, yep. and you've been born again, and you know that, then, then that you've already taken care of that, then you begin to work out your salvation or you begin to develop your relationship with him. You read your Bible every day, and, and if you want me to help you on that, Drew, my, my whole website is devoted to helping people <laughs> read their Bible so they can hear God speak hmm. because we don't know how to listen when we read our Bibles. And then when he speaks to you, you, you do what he says. And, and you may not know exactly what that is at first because you have to learn the sound of your shepherd's voice, but as you do that, Day after day after day, it becomes thrilling, and you learn you learn to know him not just intellectually, but but through your experience as you obey what he has to say, and you follow him in a life of faith. And uh, and I can tell you, it's it there there are days that are harder than others. There are days that I sense his presence, and some days I don't. There are days when uh, he answers my prayer, and there are days when he doesn't answer my prayers. But underneath it all is this deep assurance that I know God, and he knows me, and I don't doubt that. Okay. we uh, You have given us an enormous amount of time, and thank you very, very much. Uh, but just before we say goodbye, I'm heading off to Israel on uh, Wednesday next oh. this week, and I'll be there for a month. And, um, and I'm scared because either I'm going to get what I asked for, I asked for an encounter with God for Christmas, and next thing you know, I'm going to be in Israel for yeah. Christmas. So I'm actually going to be in the Holy Land, yeah. and I'm going to encounter God, yeah. which you should be scared about if you think it through. A little bit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, good for you. Or, 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 uh -huh. or I'm going to be in Israel, and I won't have the an encounter with God where I cannot justify, rationalize it away kind of thing. And I'm scared about that, too. Well, God is... Um in Toronto, just as much as he's in Jerusalem. Apparently, the Holy Spirit was at the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship for a lot of years at the at the well. vineyard. <laughs> so oh, I, yeah, maybe. I just missed him. I guess I don't know. <laughs> well, but you know, God is God is with you. He is He is there with you now. He'll be with you on the airplane. He'll be with you in Israel. And but I don't find him in a place. I find him in the pages of my Bible. And I open my Bible and read and ask him to speak to me through the pages of his Word because there are a lot of funny things going on out there. I mean, I know you know that better than me. A lot of strange things and i want to know the truth yeah. and I, I believe jesus is the son of god i believe he's the truth i believe he, what he says is true and so you can start with the words of jesus and and that's where i find god um in the person of jesus christ but also in the, the written word i have nothing to say but thanks a lot okay drew i'm going to be <laughs> praying for you <laughs> and thank you very very much and merry christmas Mer merry christmas to you drew god bless you thank you Anne. okay bye-bye bye. and graham lots on the drew marshall show wow she's got uh, a lot of interesting things to say and uh, i just can't imagine growing up as a child of billy graham dr billy graham i re i think you know what it will be a sad day for the world when uh, dr graham passes uh, it'll I don't know. Maybe I'm making too much of a, a big deal out no, of that. No, you're not at all. No, it'll be huge when he goes. Bigger than Elvis. You know, somebody, I hope so. 
uh, someone said to me the other day, I think while I was doing research for our upcoming guest, um, Peter Hitchens, coming up on the show, and uh, it was said that a world without uh, Christianity will be a world worse off. And I was thinking about that, how that would actually play out. Anyway, a short break on the show, folks, and when we come back, we're going to chat with Dr. Peter Rollins, philosopher, author, and drinker. <laughs> Stay with us. It's hard to find quality guest speakers these days. If they're interesting, they're usually expensive. And if they're cheap, they're usually boring. Well, here's someone who's both expensive and boring. Drew Marshall is a high school dropout who tried to become a pro football player but didn't make it. He then tried to become a firefighter and didn't make it. Now he's trying to become a stand-up comic. <laughs> Good luck with that, Mr. Marshall. But... If you're looking for someone who's unpredictable, incredibly honest, provocative, genuine, then we've got the right guy. Everyone seems to be an expert on something these days. Why not book someone who's an expert on nothing? Except how to be brutally honest about yourself and your faith. To book Drew Marshall as your guest speaker, go to drewmarshall.ca. Drew Marshall. 